Hello, everyone. Welcome to Connected, an audio archive series presented by Side Street Studio Arts. My name is Tanner Melvin, and today is Tuesday, October 13th, 2015. And I've got a really great episode for you guys tonight. Um, I got to interview one of my favorite artists in this area uh, by the name of Jim Lloyd. And for those of you who don't know Jim, Jim is a master printmaker uh, specializing in Italio process and uh, wood carving and lithograph. Um, he might say one thing, but he, he's, he's, a, he's a master in my eyes and, and everything he touches. Um, I'm kind of a fanboy, not a big deal, but um, you guys are going to see, uh, or hear, I should say, a really great episode, um, my interview with Jim. Uh, it's lengthy, it's great. Uh, you get to see kind of the edges of Jim, considering he's fairly reclusive and uh, doesn't really like the limelight, even though he's someone that truly deserves it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this dark tale of an interview with Jim Lloyd. Uh, this is, yeah, like you said, you've been here for about five years. Yeah. 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 We moved out here when the, uh, when the economy busted for housing and it got it cheaper to buy houses. So we said, Hey, let's get one of these cool old houses out here. So out we came. Where did you, uh, where'd you guys come from? Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. We, I moved to Chicago in, um, I graduated in 1994 from Ball State University, so I moved up to Chicago with one of my artist friends, and we decided we were going to try to make it a go, give it a go as artists, and also get other jobs. And he went back to graduate school after about uh, six months, and I stuck it out till uh, we moved here. Like I said, I think it was in 2009, 2010, 11, somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. So he, so he split after. <laughs> like six months? Six months, seven months. I won't mention names because I'll probably get nasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though he's much smaller than me. <laughs> but he, Is this the guy, I think? Yes, the guy. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> he decided to go back to graduate school, which worked out well for him because he ended up getting his master's degree in printmaking, and now he teaches in California. But we won't mention names. We won't mention names, but I, yeah. I promise. And it could have uh, been more than six months. I don't recall. I mean, it was, it was, yeah. It wasn't quite the full year, so he was still paying the least when he left. He was still what? He was still paying the lease when he left. Ah, okay. He was a stand-up guy, though, so he, he paid the lease oh, until I found a roommate, which wasn't all that hard in Chicago. You don't see that very often. You see people get like really pissed off and never talk to those those people again. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was funny because he, he was one with all the furniture, and we were in like a 2,000-square-foot <laughs> <laughs> we uh, apartment up on Foster and Western Avenue. And oh, wow. It, it was huge, and, and it was a two-bedroom, two-bath you know, enclosed back porch. And when he left, all I had left was a mattress from a rollaway bed, a milk crate and a chair and a TV set. So I, I moved my whole, we moved, I, I moved the whole apartment in the living room because I didn't see any purpose in having a bedroom when you have like five pieces of furniture. Right. Right. <laughs> so you just, okay, that sounds better. So you just kept everything and yeah. you, geez, man, that's, which was cool. I mean, it was, it was culture shock for sure. Cause I mean, I came from a small town in rural Indiana Right. So, I mean, we moved when I went to uh, to college. I mean, I went to Ball State University. So, I moved from a town of about uh, maybe eight thousand at the time to a town of, I think, uh, with the university, it's about sixty five thousand. And then I moved up to Chicago, and I think there were probably more people on my block than there were in my whole hometown. <clears throat> oh, easily. Yeah, I had never taken mass transportation ever. 
Never been in How a cab. How old were you? Um, I was fresh out of college. So I was 22, somewhere 23. Never taken a bus. Other Culture than, shock. Other right? than a campus bus. I mean, yeah. it doesn't count. But uh, never been on the L. It's kind of funny because I remember the uh, first time I started taking the buses and stuff, I didn't understand the whole transfer process. And so people get on a bus <laughs> and ask for this little piece of paper, and I had no idea what it was. So I was playing full fare everywhere to where I oh, went man. until I decided, wait, I need to make more observations and figure this shit out. <laughs> <laughs> like what? What is that? What? How were they just getting a piece of paper and getting on the next bus? And I have given them a token because this was token days too. This was not right, right. Yeah, this was towards the end of token days. But yeah, Jesus, man. Yeah, yeah. That's. Um, I remember when I first moved to Chicago. It was, it was the same thing. Like I just got lost, and I did it, and I knew where. I mean, I could get home, but yeah. getting lost was the best thing that ever happened to me because I could just. Within a couple months, I knew Chicago front and back. I mean, you know, it was easy to. Yeah. I mean, it's a grid and... Exactly. But the transit system can be absolutely... Man, it's... Well, it was funny for me. I remember uh, I was a very, you know, organized and tactically minded person. So when I would go do anything, like I, I, I think one of the first shocks was the was the wind. Okay, that was... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I grew up in, rural, like I said, rural Indiana. And we're used to cold and we used to snow, but I... When I would go to work, I remember the first time I was up on the, the L, we'd take the red line, and I'd be sent on the L, and and I and all of a sudden, first really cold day, and that lake effect wind comes blowing across the lake, and it hits me, and it was like I was naked. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my yeah. God, I'm freezing my ass off on this thing. And then it started. I started to figure out why everybody wears leather in Chicago, <laughs> because it's like leather is the only thing that can hold that wind out. So I had this big plan. You know, I'm going to go get a, a leather jacket. And at the time, I, I kept... I would always see the advertisements for the alley. I don't know if you're familiar with the mm-hmm. alley in Chicago. And they always had the billboards Absolutely. on the, on the yeah. bus signs that said, leather jackets, $99 and all that. So I'm like, I'm going to go to the alley. So I actually planned this trip like a, a week in advance. What bus I had to get off on to get off on the train, turn right here, go this way. Because this was me venturing out of my comfort zone. I actually had to go like, I don't know, you know like five, six miles into Chicago. And then I'm like, ooh. So I planned it down to the letter and it was quite a tactical maneuver. Of course, as I as time goes on, you just run, run with Chicago and run everywhere. But that was that was pretty cool back then. That was the that was the excitement of the city, especially being by myself. I mean, my I mean, you've met my sister before, yeah, yeah, and she's pretty comfortable coming up here now. But it took her probably four years of me living in Chicago before she would come up. I used to have to go pick her up in Maryville and bring her up. And at the time, I didn't have a car either, so I was pretty much on my own. If shit happened, I was like on a bus to Indiana or I was, you know, calling a friend saying, Hey, come get me. Yeah. Yeah. That same friend, because he went to Ball State to get his master's. Then he went off to South Dakota to get a master's degree too. So if I needed him, I could call him and say, Hey, come get me. But still that's four hours. God, man. I mean, you were, you're a voyager, you know, you really were, you were just in the wild pretty much. (laughs) Well, you know, at the time it was, it was kind of funny because I've talked about this many times with, you know, with, with friends and stuff. And at the time it was just a guy out of college that saved up money, moved up here. But if I look at it back now as an adult thinking, man, that was kind of a, kind of a ballsy move because I had 700 bucks in my pocket and I didn't even have a job. I, I got a job at a hardware store when I first got up here and, and then I ended up getting, you know, more, a degree, you know, something more, um, in tune with my educational level. But before that, I was like, I was hauling ass from Foster Avenue all the way down to State Street, um, working at a hardware store because I got the first job I can get because I'm of that strange old school mentality that if I get a job, I'm getting it. Right. So, You're I making, mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, the logic, it was not illogical for me to drive, to ride my bike the length of, uh, of, uh, Lincoln Avenue, <laughs> you know, all the way to downtown just to work a, you know, a, a minimum wage job. But yeah, I mean, it was good times back then. It was, it was really being that young and and the 
a lot of the art scenes in Chicago were kind of just blossoming then, you know, and it was pretty cool. It was, it was a really neat place to be at the time, young, adventurous. And then when, when you get comfortable and became, became acclimated to this, to the city, then I started involving myself more. I was pretty involved, you know, well, I guess I'll mention them, Kevin. <laughs> when Kevin came up with me, we did get kind of involved right away because we, we got involved with the Chicago Printmakers Collaborative back right, then. Right, right. So and that we, was pretty. Was that new back um, then? Or? They were. They were probably around for about five, four years before okay. we got there. So it was pretty new. This was back when it was its first location in Wicker Park, and, mm-hmm. and it was a pretty much a dingy little hole, and you know, right. no heating, wind is uh, cold in winter, hot in the summer, kind of thing. But we were, we were that we were early on there, and we met the the, the director there, Deborah, and um, they that was she was the director back then. Yeah, she, man, she started. She she was a. A professor at um, um, Indiana Purdue University in Fort Wayne, and she, her husband's an architect, and I guess he got a gig up here in Chicago, and she came up with him, and she couldn't get a. And this is pretty much the common thread when it comes to people with advanced degrees in printmaking is they couldn't get a, a printmaking job at a university, so they just kind of branch out on their own, and that's what she did. I mean, I remember you said you met Tom Huck, and yeah. and his history is the same thing. He wanted to teach, but he just you know went off with open a studio and being an artist and then became successful and she was the same way and it was really helpful for for us as young artists because i mean as you know printing presses she you know her printing press which is kind of the same one i have is about seven grand and the new one she has is close to fifteen thousand. so for someone coming out of college who's used to really nice mm-hmm. studios like right. at the university we had three or four presses that were about 20 grand a piece and you always had time on them to come to the city and if you're a printmaker there's just no access. You know, you're, you're cutting woodcuts and you're you're printing them in spoons in your living room. Right, right. And this gave us opportunities to do etchings and litho and things like that. And so, it was really cool that this resource was there. At the time, there were a couple other print shops. There was, um, um, oh, what's that place in in uh, Oak Park? Um, Oak Park Press, <laughs> and uh, they were kind of a small press, but they didn't have the facilities to do etching. They they had the presses and everything else, but they didn't have uh, the nitric acid baths we need. And then there was, um, oh, Anchor Graphics, which was, it was more geared towards education. They did a lot with young kids, high school kids, and he did a lot of programs like that. And you could get space there, but it wasn't, it wasn't like 24-7 access. You could come in at certain times. Where was that at? That was um, just, uh, I don't remember the street it's on, but was you know. in the city? In the city. You remember Rock and Roll McDonald's is? Yeah. It's, yeah. It was like. Um, oh, so it was. Yeah, it was, it was like two blocks south of that. Wow. It was a really nice location downtown. He wrote a couple grants and got that. And he, he brought in a bunch of really... The cool thing he did is he really pushed the education side of printmaking. So I got to meet a lot of really cool, prominent artists like Warrington Colescott and a couple other guys there. Yeah. That just, They're around now, but they don't, they're so old they don't go around. And he would bring them in his presentations, and we got to go check them out. They ended up... Um, he, kind of, he kind of merged with... Um, uh, Columbia College of Art and Design mm-hmm. in Chicago. So now Anchor Graphics is actually part of their printmaking program. Wow. So, so yeah. So if you're if you're a printmaking student there, you're actually printing in the old with all the old Anchor Graphics equipment. They're still printing with. Yeah, it. yeah. Well, he had a really nice, nice stuff. He had a big yeah. ass French tool press, and that's Jeez. that there. That French tool presses are like twenty five thousand. They're it's insane. They're really big ones, and that's the premier press. And so he had some really nice stuff, and and he was a pretty solid. He's a master printmaker, so he's really good. And it was that, back then. That was that. I think uh, Oak Park Press is still around. It's a really, it's a small, it's it's like in a little basement off of um, 
I think it's Austin Avenue where 290 crosses Austin. You get off there and you take mm-hmm. a left at the first street, first stoplight, and it's just like right there in a the corner in a basement. It's a pretty small. They worked real hard to keep it going, but it's it's if you're a hardcore printmaker, you go to the collaborative, and this is more of like the mom and pop kind of, you know, I don't know, yuppie grandma or whatever who still wants to yeah. work. There's actually, I, I guess I should give some credit out there with, um, there's a place called Sputnik Press also that just opened up about five years I've ago. I've heard of them. Yeah. They're, they're, they're I think, south of um, Ukrainian Village in that area. Mm-hmm. And um, I think they're in a new location. I actually, there was a time I, pr- I printed there for like a month or two because I wanted to, co- I got tired of spooning woodcuts. And um, I said, I'll check these guys out too. So I actually was still paying at the collaborative, but I, their monthly fee was like, I think like 25 bucks at the time. So I, and I like to move around the printmaking world. Mm-hmm. So I went over there and, you know, printed a couple of wood, wood blocks there. But then I, I didn't get the access that the collaborative has because when you're a member, you're a key member. You come anytime you want. And I still little... still had to come at the, uh, at the their designated times. Yeah. And it's kind of tricky because at the time I was, uh, you know, I was working. What was that at that time? I think I was working uh, down on Austin Avenue and 290. Or actually, right right down where the new uh, um, Oak Park Press is. And so I would have to jet home on mass transit and then try to make my way over there. And to get there before like six o'clock, seven o'clock, just to actually get enough time in was kind of hard. Yeah, I yeah. can. I mean, that's almost. I think would be impossible for some people. Yeah, you know, yeah. really. I mean, you just got. You, you had to be organized in my mind because they would close around nine o'clock, and then I. So I'd have a couple hours, and that was a tricky thing too. The, the collaborative was a cool experience, also, but it, it just doesn't compare with having your own studio because, at the time I was working the collaborative, I was actually working out here in Elgin. So I would drive in, and then I would stop at, at that. We were living up on Higgins and um, in the Higgins and Foster area on the north side. Mm-hmm. So I would drop my stuff off and I'd get all my gear and then I'd shoot in the, in the down to Western Avenue and Lawrence and, and Lincoln where it crosses yeah, over. Yeah. And um, it would probably take me another, first off, an hour to get in from Elgin on a good day. And then another hour to get downtown <clears throat> and then to get my gear set up. Because, you know, printmaking is not just you get out the paintbrushes and go. Right. And I was, you know, I had space there, but I had like flat files. So I'd have to get all my gear out, get all my ink up and everything. So by the time I would start printing or working, I would be 8 o'clock. Yeah, seven thirty, eight o'clock, and then to print for a couple hours and then have to go through putting my stuff away. Then I'm getting home at like 11 o'clock at night. It's a lot easier when I lived in Chicago and worked in Chicago. Because early on when I was working on, uh, I worked on the southwest side, the Douglas Park area, which was uh, at the time I was working for DCFS. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was a lot easier there because I could just go straight from there to, to Wicker Park to the studio. And it, that, that was like a 30-minute thing. And then I was a little closer there. So it, it worked out better. It worked out real good when I got a car. Because <laughs> then when I got a I think car. I think would change a lot of things for ass. sure. Yeah. So do they, uh, so I mean, the print collaborative and they're, they just really supplied access. I mean, I've yeah. been in, I've only been in over there a couple times to the, I think they're getting a new, yeah, they were, the, yeah. was it a new space or they're, they're redoing the new, facade? New space. They're, they actually, is it a completely new space? Yeah, she actually bought, she always leased and she always got sweet deals because her husband's an architect. Mm-hmm. So he, in that particular last place, I think he did some architectural drawings for that, the guy that runs that place. Wow. And so he, he gave her like some kick-ass rent and the lease ran out. And so she decided to buy a building. So they actually bought a building, um, 
I think four blocks north. It used to be an old uh, thrift shop. I remember or thrift slash antique shop. So I remember going in there and pillaging around for trying to find old prints. And now it's funny to me that I used to buy like, shitty old prints there. No kidding. Now it's a, now it's a nice studio. And that's on Western, right? On Western Avenue. Yeah. yeah so if they're yeah four blocks north, that's gonna yeah. be. It's right where or you know where the Lincoln Jog hits. Yeah, Western yeah, yeah. Combines, I was say and then it's... it takes that jog again. Yep. It's right where that jog is. It just it literally, if you turn left on Lincoln, if you go like maybe. Like a third of a block, it's right there on the left. It, Man. It's got a white facade. I'm sure it's a nice place. They put some, I think they, they didn't just move in. They actually gutted it and redid yeah, it. Yeah, I thought I saw photographs of that. And maybe yeah. that's what I, th- I thought. I remember seeing scaffolding and all that kind of stuff. That's amazing yeah. that they had that opportunity. Yeah, and I mean, with a husband as an architect, he, I mean, he could probably do some nice drawings for the inside. Yeah, place. right? Yeah. So, at I mean, cost, you at know. At cost, no. yeah. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, I haven't seen it. I think they have an, um, I think they have an open house this weekend or, Maybe next oh, wow. week. Wow, so it's already open. Yeah, it's, it's getting ready. Yeah, it's, it's open. You can get in and work now. Wow. Yeah. Jesus, so. man. Well, yeah, I... But back to the subject you're talking about. Sorry to get on that tangent. Oh, I don't even remember what I was well, talking about. Well, you were about. asking about <laughs> access and stuff. <laughs> oh. the, the thing with them is it's... Uh, to be a key member, you're jurored in. You go and you show what you can do. And then you, you they, I mean, since, like I said, the, the stuff's so expensive, you actually have, they're just not going to let you turn you loose on a $15,000 press. Right, so of course. You actually have to have background. They have to understand and be comfortable with you being able to, to use the equipment. I mean, if they can look at your portfolio and they can determine you're good to go, you're good to go. But sometimes they have you come in and do some print demos and stuff like that. So, wow, really? Yeah. I, like I said, when I, I had been with them so long, I, they wouldn't really print demo. They just she looked at portfolio and said they can do it, and then she got excited because we had some old you know country boy carpentry skills. So yeah. a lot of <laughs> we were, we were pretty good at uh, fixing things. The old hot plate there was, I mean you've seen my hot plate. It's a nice fancy one that you buy from a place that provides it. Mm-hmm. Ours was we scrapped it together using old heating elements and a piece of metal that would get too hot and warp and. And we had a we put on angle iron and screwed oh, it together, Christ. and it would work. You know, it work half the time, and then it didn't. And then we'd spend an hour or two trying to put it back together and figure it out. And we everything else we built the tables, the the Aquatent boxes, stuff like that, which was cool because it, you know as funny as it was at the time, it never got frustrated because it was cool. You were young, you were just kind of winging it in the city, and and it was a cool art experience. But it really came in handy when it came time to build my own studio because, yeah. you know, I. I, I was in, I did a lot of work when we when we moved the studio up to Western Avenue. We built the tables. I made my brother-in-law come up and help remake the tables, and we you know we we did a lot of work with the Aquatent boxes and stuff like that. So you do it a couple times, you you know how to do it, and it helps you when it comes time to make your own studio. Yeah, I mean that you talk about piecing stuff together, and I find all of that very romantic in yeah. a way. You know, I mean because that's what I love salvaging and, and, and restoring and, and getting as much life out of certain things as possible, especially when it's helping me. Like, I, I mean, it's dumb, but I, I've got a drill that yeah. I've had for eight years and I thought I lost it and then I found it and it was all cracked up and I fixed it. And, you know, so, yeah. like a sawzall, I mean, those things, but like fixing, you know, a hot plate or a, you will figure out how to do it and how to fix things in the future. But there's some kind of, it's more it puts you in touch with the process more you know it it's, absolutely it's a, it's a more completeness does. of it and you know and, and also being poor artists you know it, it saves you money in the printmaking world it's it's the nice thing about that where we're at is like we're actually in a hub of printmaking but a lot of people don't really know that i mean you have down in um 
in Villa Park, you have um, Graphic Chemical Inc., mm-hmm. which is right. was for years the one and only printmaking supply place anywhere. I mean, they're sending stuff to, to, to Europe. They're sending it to... Why is that? Why Do they just have access? Well, it's because they... not two people specialize in it. And, right. and they, was, they specialize in printmaking. It wasn't so much... I mean, they provided stuff for other things, but they were, they, they specialized in it. The, the old guy that used to run it knew printmaking up and down, left and right, and really had a passion for it. There are a lot of places that provide supplies like Blick and all mm-hmm. that, but they don't they don't understand it to the level at which you can actually give you what you need. They, right. And, and, and they, they made their own inks. They do all this other stuff, which is pretty pretty helpful. But the big problem with printmaking, as I keep saying, is so expensive. And that's the cool thing about when you make stuff yourself because Graphic Chemical and a lot of those big supply houses pretty much supply to universities because – Printmakers like us, we're out here, and there's so few and far between that they're not making their money off us. They're making their money off a, a college professor who has a budget and and can pretty much choose what you know what to buy, when to buy, and how much to spend. And depending on the university, they they have the money to spend. You know, a printmaker may save ten years to buy a press in uh, Iowa. We all, we need all new presses, and they'll buy them all one day. You know, or they or they make these huge supplies. So. <clears throat> The, it's not cheap. The the hot plate that we made cost us maybe twenty five bucks. Right. To buy it, my hot plate cost a thousand dollars, and that's that's the big difference. Um, my Aquatint box, um, I made it out of foam core and uh, that uh, aluminum uh, duct tape and things like that, and an old air compressor. And and I've got excluding the air compressor, I maybe have ten dollars in it. Right. If I show up to graphic to graphic chemical and want to buy an Aquatint box, which is the same pretty much the same design other than it's made from better quality wood materials things like that you're talking three four hundred dollars and that's just for a for a, a plywood box that's just been designed to aerate uh um, the 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 um, the dust that we use mm-hmm. to make the aquatents so th- that's a thing so you can save so much money and you don't need to buy this stuff that's expensive there are certain things you have to buy you got to buy a press I mean, you can actually get to, to download designs off the internet and make your own press. Right. And I mean, and let, you got to go to through machine shop and stuff to get them to cut the parts. But you can save yourself a thousand, two thousand dollars doing it that way. But other than, I mean, if you unless you can mill your own ink, make your own ink, you're going to go there and you're going to buy it. You're going to pay twenty six dollars for a one pound can. And that's, and that's how they've stayed in business. Exactly. For exactly. How many every year? Yeah. I, I think that they're probably not doing as well as they used to, and, and, and me and my printmaking friends talked about that because there's a lot more competition out there, so it kind of drives the prices down. And you know, and the quality of the inks changed too. Uh, and and we we really saw a drop off when the the old man, the the, the original owner, um, kind of he I, he passed away, and the uh, his sons took over. And I don't think they understood printmaking as much, and maybe maybe not. I don't know if they're actually printmakers. Yeah. But the quality of the inks went down, so we actually started going to different brands. We go to Gamblin. A lot of us. I like the the graphic chemical ink because it was affordable and good. But then it gets to a quality at which I end up going to like a Charbonnel, which is a French ink, and that's a lot more expensive. Where I'm paying twenty six dollars a pound there. Actually, at the time, I'm paying thirteen dollars a pound. A Charbonnel is going to cost you thirty dollars a pound. So it's a lot more, but there's a real quality ink, and it's in and Rembrandt printed with Charbonnel, <laughs> so you know it's Jesus. it's been around that long. So, well, so what would you think that? Because I know that there's uh, actually we just got a tour of the uh, School of the Art Institute. Yeah. Um, the, did you go to the printer? Uh, we did. That's that's, that's we. Sweet. What's funny is that we had we walked through the um, the photo lab, mm-hmm. and it's probably. 
I don't know. I mean, it's it's probably uh, uh, a thousand square feet. Let's call it yeah. a thousand square feet. You take a left and you take a right or whatever, and you open one door, and then you go and you open another door and another door and another mm-hmm. door and another door. That was the print lab. That that was insane to me. I mean, each yeah. room had had its own speciality, and mm-hmm. and it just kept going. And Roberto, he, he was like. You can see where they their heads are at on this one, you know. I mean, yeah. and it, and there were people and they're working and kids and they're working. Mm-hmm. I mean, work working hard. Yeah. And I loved. I mean, not that they weren't in the photo lab, but it was just really impressive to see all the the racks and mm-hmm. and all the, the the beds and all the flat files and all the presses and and people just doing it, you know. And having access to that it just yeah. blew my mind. Like I, I could have never expected to have access to something like that's that nice. when I was in school. I mean, and I didn't go to a school that had a huge print yeah. lab or anything like that, or even a, a very large art. We did had a large, we had a good arts department, um, but it wasn't extensive. Yeah. You know, of course, yeah. like something like the the art, yeah. the each, school art institute. Each school had, I mean, it, the really prominent schools like the art institute and Iowa. They, it, it's all based around. You have one great artist that works there, and and I'm gonna and I'm I'm ashamed of myself that I can't remember the the lady who really set up the program at uh, at the art institute, but she was one of the, the I guess the, the 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 big printmakers in the United States. Like Iowa was always renowned as being the best printmaking program in the in the United States because of Makusha Lazansky, and he basically came over from Europe and just set up the program there, and and he was the pr- the first one that really brought prominence to printmaking in the United States, and I in as on a, on a school level. And and that's why I was so prominent. And then his contemporaries kind of moved out. So you have that's Mercutio, Mercutio Lazansky. Yeah, you can buy his prints. They're about ten grand a piece online. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've I've only seen one or two on eBay, and they're not coming cheap. Oh you my know? god! And I've and I've seen a, a few of them in museums, but they're pretty they're pretty pretty expensive. And a lot of the uh, the guys that the, the contemporaries of that kind of go and go off to Wisconsin's and things like that and build their programs too. And yeah. so. That's the key to a program is one or two artists. And the printmaking world is kind of a funny place. You think someplace like the Art Institute, because it's the Art Institute, or you got like Otis Parsons, or you got the Pratt's, or you got these big art schools, and you're thinking, okay, those got to be the best places to go to learn printmaking. But Iowa, it's, 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 it's all in one or two artists or printmakers that go somewhere that can take a program like Iowa, which is just a, you know, I mean, it is Iowa, it's a huge university, but it is a state school, and put it on a level that's far more advanced than, than your, uh, than Art Institute of Chicago, which you assume Art Institute of Chicago, wow. But if you understand printmaking, I'm more impressed when I see somebody with a master's degree from Iowa than I am from the Art Institute, just because of that. And you'll find programs, um, that are like the the one my friend Kevin went to University of South Dakota. I mean, the the professor out there is renowned, and and his program is an amazing program. And it's at the University of South Dakota. No one would ever think that I'm going to go study art in South right. Dakota. But if you're going to study printmaking, that there's a there's few programs that are as good as that. And do you think a lot of it has to do with dedication and focus and style versus style money? Well, you know, facility. Well, I don't. Yeah. It, it it can go that direction. It, you don't have to have a, a really expensive. I mean, you, you do have to have the basic materials to print making, like presses and things like that. But you don't necessarily have to have an amazing facility. I mean, I went to Ball State University, and I thought we had great facilities. And and in the years I've been gone, they have amazing facilities now. But I I learned enough in those facilities because I was lucky enough to learn from a master printmaker, um, and you know he. You know his knowledge and his you know his abilities is what made it for me. You know he he we had minimal 
I wouldn't say minimal. We had great f- facilities, but he was able to take those facilities and maximize it. Whereas I think I got a better understanding of printmaking from him than I would have if I would have went to Indiana University. Who and I've been in their print facilities, and their print facilities are the size of a whole floor. And Jeez. it's yeah, and 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 I and I, you know, it just the way it goes. I, I think that it depends on. It depends on the artist, and I think as a student, I mean, I don't want people to get all caught up in the, the where you go to school and the prestige that comes to that. Now, if you're going to go on and decide that you want to get a master's degree and then you want to teach at university and you want to teach printmaking or drawing or painting, then it depend. It is important where you go to school. I mean, if if you got your your bachelor's degree from Ball State University and you're competing in a master to get into a master's program with a kid that went to Yard Institute, yeah, it's going to be harder for you. But if you're just want to make it as an artist and be a good artist, it doesn't matter where you go. It's it's the passion you have for the art and your ability to put that image on on the paper. I mean, there's a lot of great artists that come from just you never even heard of the places. There's there's a lot of amazing artists that never go to school. Right. The, of course, you know, yeah. and and that's the thing. I mean, with what we do, you can't just happen into printmaking. I mean, there are people who have done it. I mean, there's a printmaker in Chicago named Tony Fitzpatrick who's probably the most prominent printmaker in Chicago now. And he's an outsider artist. He learned it. Um, he picked it up. He, he ran into people that knew printmaking. He actually was part of the pop art movement. He knew Warhol, that kind of stuff, too. And he spent some time. He was a boxer. He spent time in New York, moved back to Chicago. He has his own press. I think it's called Big Cat Press. And, but it's a, it's Big a, Cat? Big Cat. But Big it's cat. a private press. He, he, it's yeah. not, we, you just can't get access to it. I think it's in Chinatown. It used to be in Wicker Park. I went to it once. He's a nice guy. Talks a lot. He'll tell you what's on his mind too. He's not one to hold back. Uh, yeah. When I told when I we first found out early on when I was a social worker, he's like, "Oh, you like to walk in the gutter, huh, kid?" <laughs> I'm like, "Whoa, that was something." We uh, what well, was funny with him? But and to, here I go off on a tangent again, which I you know I'm bad at. But um, we were he one of the first big production prints we did at the collaborative was a print called Pinky, and um, he came in because there's um, Jeff Sipple who. At the time, was the um, educational director at Tamarind Institute, which is Tamarind Institute is the is the mecca for lithography. Mm-hmm. If 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 you want the title as a master printmaker in lithography, you go to Tamarind and you and you'll you'll intern at Tamarind and you'll get that title and it's a certificate and you're and that's a big deal. And the thing with a master lithographer in printmaking, which is, in litho, is the key to that is is you have to be able to produce a level of prints with um, perfect. You have to stay under a certain percentage. So, and their percentage is like if you print a thousand prints, you have to you can only bad have three bad prints. So that's those that level of master printmaking at Litho is psycho. That's where the man who taught me printmaking he actually um, being a master printmaker. But he came through Landfall Press, which I'm going to go all over the place with printmaking here. So I'm going to try to keep it focused on one direction. So we'll go back to the uh, the, the Jeff Sipple story. So Jeff Sipple came into town because he was teaching us a process called waterless lithography which he invented, but there's a lot of debate over whether he invented or this other guy did. But it, being the educational director of Tamron, I'm kind of assuming he was the guy, and he knew a lot about it. So we spent um, a couple of days learning water, waterless lithography, which is a pretty cool process. It makes it a lot easier for you to do litho in your studio because you don't need these big vats of water mm-hmm. and you don't need these the litho stones. You're doing it on aluminum plates. You're using a couple of diff- a lot of different processes that doesn't require. It's not as toxic, so it's cool. But him being in town, um, Jeff... Um, Tony Fitzpatrick and Deborah, who is the director of, of, the, of the Chicago Print with Collaborative, connected um, Jeff and, and Tony because Tony wanted to do a print and knew Jeff was there. And being a master printmaker, 
the cool thing about being a master printmaker is you can be a great artist and if a great master printmaker prints it it makes it much more valuable and prestigious so Tony Fitzpatrick um, print actually had Jeff Sipple print his print because that's what master printmakers do when you're when you're if you're Picasso and you show up in New York but Picasso never came to the United States but if you happen to come to the United <laughs> States he wants to make an etching or a litho Picasso's not going to grind his own stones. He's not going to bevel his own plates. He's not going to ground his own plates for the etching. He's going to go to a master printmaker. And the master printmaker is going to have like six or seven other master printmakers around. And they're going to prepare the stone for him. He's doing litho. And then he'll paint on the stone. And then they'll seal the stone and put the image on there for him. And then they'll print it. And he'll sit there with him and work on the collars and things like that. He's not going to do it like us printmakers. That we take the process to finality all ourselves. And that's what printmakers do. Most most professional printmakers work with other artists to help them make these prints. And so that's the process there. Jeff Sipple worked with Tony to get this pinky print out. And they and we spent I spent about a week because I'm still in the studio and I want to do my work, so I don't give a shit if you're there or not. You know, stay right, out of my right. way. You stay out of mine, I'll stay out of yours. And that's when I, I got had a couple conversations with him. He's a pretty nice guy, but you know, he was pretty uh Intrusive too. He would smoke in the studio, and we don't allow smoking in the studio. But you know, he's Tony Fitzpatrick. He can smoke wherever he wants. He can do whatever the hell he wants, <laughs> yeah. right? Jesus. So it was it was a pretty funny experience with him. But yeah, that was where you know it, I lost the whole subject of why we talked about Tony Fitzpatrick. No, that's that's but, amazing. But, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm learning a lot of different names right yeah. now, which is great because I mean, I know that uh, the times that I've come in here, or any time that I actually have a conversation with you, it's it's always a learning experience, even if it's in passing. And it's really incredible that because you're a you're just that type of person that you have all this knowledge and you're willing to give it away, you know, to people that you what and this is these are your words to people that you uh, deem. Uh, worthy. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. If so I, I don't know if I use the term worthy. I think I think it's more long. In my head, you use the term okay, worthy. Maybe it's worthy. I, I don't think it's worthy. I, I I want people who are interested in art. You know, yeah. I, I I'm going to take this back to. I'm going to blame this on somebody else here. Okay. I'm going to blame this on. Uh, I, I was one of the professors I had was Sarojini Johnson, and her husband David Johnson is a printmaker, and he's like. The, the the god of woodcuts he's just amazing and um i actually never had him as a professor but we'd spend a lot of time in the studio and he'd be in the studio and we would uh, a lot of talk and all that and he he and, and i told you this before most printmakers look like woodshop teachers you know you're like that's a that's an artist and they yeah. come in there and you know, you've seen kevin he looks like he's wearing his flannels <laughs> and he's bald oh, that's on youtube or on, on it's, itunes it's not on anything everybody yet, knows yeah. he's bald now <laughs> but um he shaves it, so. But um, but you know, Dave's pretty funny because he's he's the classic Midwestern kind of soft-spoken guy that that's just really hits you with his real deep shit just out of nowhere. Yeah. And I mean, the first truism that came from him was I was young. I mean, second year printmaking studio student. I'm all pissed off because I just burnt a plate up in the acid and I brought it out and I was like, I ruined this damn plate. And he looks at me and he goes, how do you ruin a plate? And just wandered away. And he was right. You can't ruin a plate unless you burn it to nothing. I just right. have to work at it, scribble it, you know, bevel it and re-scrape it, all that. But he always used to go off on, on artists that look the part and artists that are passionate about it. And in, in the art world, I'm not, and I'm probably going to piss everybody off when I say this, but you know me, I'll just say whatever the hell on my mind and just hide <laughs> in my studio. But, uh, but um, you get a lot of people out there that just look the part. 
Yeah. You know, and 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 when you say people I deem worthy, usually when I use that phrase, it's because I invite people to work with me in the studio, and I'll I'll, I'll share my knowledge with anybody. But if you're going to come down here and work with me in the studio, I want you to want to do the work. Right. You know, I, I've had people come through here that are here a couple of times and leave, and it's cool. But I'm really passionate working with people that are passionate about art. And back those days when I was in school and Dave was there, you'd have a lot of the guys with the cool haircuts and they really looked like artists and, you know, working the goth and working the punk and working everything else. And they walked the walk or they talked the talk, but, you know, they, would, they wouldn't really put the art out there. And, and in the art world, I mean, I know it's hard to make time to do art and I know it's hard to produce and, and I know people go through blocks and all this other stuff, but, you know, I... I, I show a lot with, or I used to show a lot more with people in Chicago, you know, and I show a lot with you guys, and, and I do stuff here and there now, but uh, there were so many times where I'd be showing with other artists, and it's the same thing they showed last week, or two weeks ago, or a month ago, or two months ago, or three months ago, and they love going there, and they go love being in the galleries, and they love being an artist, but they aren't producing, you know, and I know we talked about this, what's well, hard yeah. to produce, yeah. but, you know, I, you know, I get people that are blocked, but I mean, I, people that act it, you know that those are the ones I'm not going to really spend a lot of time on because I can tell by looking at your neck. There's, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I'm giving all these great gifts away, but it, you know, this is a you people can't see it because this is audio, but this is a serious studio here. I mean, I got two presses. I mean, I, I got tons of artwork, and I got about a you know, and I'm sh- and I'm and I had the gift of knowledge bestowed upon me from great printmakers, and I'm willing to share it. And I've invited many people to come in here and, and, and work. Including myself. Oh, but that's Including all right. You, but you still keep coming back. <laughs> and, and you still have an interest in it. And you, you're a busy guy. But, um, but I mean, I, I've, I've, I've invited people there. I look at their work. I think that would really translate well to prints. And I say, hey, yeah. come on over. And a lot of them don't understand printmaking know what it is. But if they, you know, if, if they realized what was offered to them, you know, and they actually had an understanding of it, it just I find it hard to, that they don't just jump on it. Because it's... It, it's hard to express how hard, how difficult it is to when you're young and you're fresh out of college, and back then the shop fee was two hundred fifty dollars a month, and to you're paying rent in Chicago, you're 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 eating, you're you know everything, and then you're ponying up two hundred fifty bucks to work in the studio, along with um, fifty bucks a plate to get a plate, twenty bucks a can for ink. You bought paper before, and yeah. the, and the the etching paper is you're talking three, four, five bucks a slice back then, and your your standard editions fifteen twenty. Um, and that's just for that. So that's not the tools and everything else. So you're talking, you're you're into it for thousands of dollars, and that's not without your own studio. That's just you're doing it on as an artist right, going to a right. studio. And someone like me says, "Hey, you can come here. I will give you everything you need. I have all the tools. I have all the inks. I you you, you know I do big plates, so I have all these small plates hanging around because Blick likes to send me the forty percent off coupon." <laughs> And there's nothing at Blick I want other than their little zinc plate. So I show up there and I buy their $20 zinc plate for 12 bucks and I shove it in a flat file yeah. and I got stacks of those. And so to me, it's, it's you know, it, you're using my scraps. So it's not like I'm, I'm out of pocket for anything. And so I, I invite you as an artist to come to my studio and do this for free. Free. You know what I mean? And if you decided, you know, which is a nice little segue back to the history of printmaking in Chicago, they used to play a place here called Landfall Press which moved out to um, Albuquerque, and I think they moved somewhere else after that. Wow. But Landfall Press was ran by a guy named Jack Lemon, which um, which the print, with the master printmaker I learned under was actually a printmaker there for years. And um, that's where you would literally go. They, they worked with um, with the biggest names in, print, in, in art at that time. I mean, if you were Picasso, you went to Landfall Press. That was it. 
and you know we talked about Tony Fitzpatrick and all the or, and um, you know and Tom Huck earlier. They all went through there when they were still in Chicago. And if you print at Landfall Press, whatever edition came out of there, you're it's it's you know it's going to sell for tens of thousands of dollars a print because just because you went through there. And for you as an artist to go there, first off, you have to be invited there. You just can't show up at Landfall Press and right, say, "Hey, I want right. to print." But <laughs> it, but it, but if you want if but if you wanted to go to a master printmaker, you're spending four hundred dollars an hour. To have a master printmaker, you know, work with you, and and that's where you're saying when I say people I deem worthy, it frustrates me because here I am, you know, printmaker, I'm masterful at it. Come on in, I'll show you everything you need to know. I will help you make an edition of artwork that you can go exhibit, sell, which is 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 very much a fine art. Everybody knows printmaking is a fine art, yeah, and it's free. It's just your time, and it's my time, and my time's expensive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Damn straight. And well, and, I mean, do you think that it's the people that you have reached out to? I mean, including myself, but the others that have come down, done work, and then disappear. Do you think that it's a lack of commitment? Do you think it's? I mean, they lose interest in the actual art form. I don't. Or? You know, it depends. I think it's it's the variables are it's different with everybody. Some of them are moved. You know, some of them come around still a lot. Um, some of them, you know, I think some of them really are dealing with other issues and, and they come down here and they, they, they just, their life has all kinds of complications outside of art. And so they just have troubles focusing on whatever they're doing. And some of them just come down and, and not interested in it. Some of them just never come, never call, say they're going to come, don't show up, you know, things like that. But I mean, we all have to balance our, our real life with our, you know, how we pay the bills and how we get on every day with how we do as an artist. So, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think about it often, uh, about not being able to come over or having literally having a couple hours and being like, man, I could just go over and, you know, and I've always appreciated that extension of your, I don't know what you want to call. I mean, I know, it's because yeah. it's not just a studio, you know. It's yeah. it's more than that, and I mean, it's it's definitely when you look at the walls and filled with the artwork and the mm-hmm. books, and I mean, you've allowed us to go upstairs in your yeah, office, you know, yeah, and look yeah. at all the books, and you gave me, you know, you've given me, uh, and I appreciate that. And the more that I read and the more that I learn about it, it just I'm fascinated. All the artwork, and I'm not kidding, <laughs> except for very recently, all the artwork I've purchased in the past probably a year at least has been prints. Yeah. We have, I mean, I would 30, 40, 50 uh, prints that need to be framed right now, yeah. but it's because I see that and I can understand it a little bit more and appreciate it more. And it's because of you, you know, and it's because of, the, of not just you, but there are so many talented yeah. printmakers around too. And I really, but then I can feed it back to like information you've given about the process and man, that process of, you know, either litho or even, you know, blocks and screen printing and other things like it's, it really does fascinate me because as an artist in one way that I am, it doesn't seem, Oh, you're an artist in several ways. It doesn't seem possible, (laughs) you know, to see like I could, I, you know, I think about it. It's like, I can never create something like that. And I just need to push myself and get over here and do it, you know, and it's, well, and that's the exciting thing about, you know, first off, 
you know, there's a selfish side of me doing these things because I, I look back fondly of the years of working in the collaboratives where you got artists all over the place. And yeah. Yeah, it's nice to have my own facility, but it's also nice to have other people down here working with me. And, and you get inspired by other artists. You know, my, my styles change over the years just based upon who I'm around. You know, I get inspired by this. I mean, there's a, you know, there, I, I, through you guys, I've, I've encountered artists that really have moved me with their work and it's just beautiful stuff. And, and it's inspiring to be around other artists. And that's what you try to, you know, you try to draw in. I'm, you know, I'm big on the trying to build the art scene. We always talk about this on and on right, because right. I, I was lucky enough to be involved in all kinds of cool art scenes, the Wicker Parks, the, the Logan Squares, those kind of things. And, and artists, you know, every movement of art throughout history have been bunches of artists coming together and collaborating and doing things like that. And that's what I always look for. And, and that's when, you know, we're back to the whole, the, 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 you know, me feeling like I'm, I'm bestowing something upon somebody, if you're worthy. You know, I, I want artists around that are, that are going to move art forward, you know, and, and, and that's it. It's not yeah. just because you got the cool haircut and you got the, you know, the style or, or you're the, you know, you're the hot young girl or whatever and you want to be an artist. No, because you have a passion and, and you, you feel something and you want to express it on, 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 on whatever you're doing, the, on, the, on the canvas, on the, you know, sculpting it, on the, the woodblock or the etching or whatever. That's what I, I really like. And, you know, I, I, you know, and I've told you that I really like art that tells a story and things like that. And there's a lot of people out there that just can do great draftsmanship and make something look, you know, like, oh, that, that looks like a pot, that looks like a plant, that looks like something. <laughs> and I have great respect for those kind of artists, but I really am moved by the artists that, that can tell a story. And that's the ones I really want to try to grab and work with because printmaking in itself is, is it represented a, a, a massive movement in art in the fact that it made art accessible to everybody. Absolutely. It's, you know... Not everybody can go out and buy, spend $1,000, $800 on a painting today. And they sure as shit couldn't do it during the Renaissance because the only people that could have paintings were, were the aristocracy. And, 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 if, and occasionally they would let the public come in and see it or the church. And you could go in and see it in the church. And then printmaking reared its ugly head. And, <laughs> and all, it up of, for everybody, exactly, <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, anybody could access art. Heck, yeah. you know, literally anybody. The, the, you know, I'm a big fan of Francisco Goya. And, you know, his prints now, tens of thousands of dollars, and that shit was laying all over the streets in Spain. He was printing that shit off and giving it to everybody. And think about it. That's a master art, you know? The German expression, it's the same way. All these guys, I mean, the, the, the Rembrandts and all that, yeah, they sold them, and they, they made a little bit of money off them, but a lot of them just, it was everywhere. It was, it was all of a sudden, someone who never, who lived in stifling poverty somewhere could have something beautiful in their hand, you know, art. And that's what printmaking was. Printmaking was, it was the... I don't know the the socialist movement of art. Yeah, it's the people's exactly. art. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, and, and completely. Because you can here you are, even the most the most expensive, um, the most prominent master artists, they're still affordable. I mean, granted, you can choose to buy a car or you can choose to buy a Rembrandt etching, but the thing is, you can pick up a Rembrandt etching. You know, and I told you in the later stages, you can get reprints of these things for. Five six hundred dollars, and this is a Rembrandt. You know, I've right. got I've got some stuff in the house which I'm not going to tell everybody in the world because right, I don't right. want people. You know, I don't want master thieves coming in helicopters. But, <laughs> but I mean, I I've got some serious artwork that that if it was a painting, I sure as shit wouldn't be living in Elgin. You yeah, know? yeah. But it, but the fact that it's an etching, I, I actually have master artworks on my wall in my library upstairs. You know, which is cool. And that's printmaking, and that's what it makes it affordable and it makes it accessible. And that's the cool thing about printmaking. And when a common theme I, I, I get with a lot of my painting friends um, is that oh, I don't want to sell my paintings. You know, I love this. And, yeah, and, and it, it goes over. And so understand they understand that at all. They price it out of range 
or they just don't want to get rid of it. It's like, I, I don't like this one, so I'll sell it, but I really like this one, so I don't want to get it. And that's where printmaking comes in. Okay, you know, I love all my prints. <laughs> and, you know, up in, you know, I mean, I was bad when I was younger because I sold out a lot of editions and didn't keep a lot of old prints that I that I wish I had copies of. And, you know, I, I destroy the plates or I, I close mm-hmm. them out so I really can't print them again. But, you know, I, I have pretty much everything for the last 10 years, I have copies of everything, which is cool. So I can I can enjoy my, my art and I can, you know, get it, get out there to everybody else. And that's what I try to do. I try to get these people in and understand that. And, and I always tell you, education is important for me too because 95% of all artists have no idea what the hell printmaking is. They think of Geely Prince or Geely or however yeah, you pronounce right. that stupid ass word that was made up. It's not actually, I don't even think it's a real word. It's kind of like Haagen Dazs, Jick, I think. Jickle, Jiggly, yeah. Geely, Jolly. I think it's named no. after somebody or it's like <laughs> somebody's or it's, girlfriend or exactly. boy. Yeah. Or it's like Haagen Dazs. Let's just make a name for this. And they think that's printmaking. Or, you know, it, it, and it's funny because I've actually went over to that, 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 um, wasteland of a city St. Charles and I've wandered through galleries over there and I remember getting into a, an interesting discussion and, and, and you know my wife Vivian and she's pretty low key and she knows whenever I go into a gallery it can go either way <laughs> it can go either way oh it can be a shit storm <laughs> so I get up in this gallery and, oh. and for some reason in the United States if you have an accent you can work in a gallery you don't have to know shit about art but if you got a cool ass English, French, whatever accent you get to work in a gallery so I go wandering up in this gallery I mean it could have been Geneva I'm not sure if you're saying yeah. <laughs> it was one of those uh, south and, and yeah, around there you know, somewhere and, and you know and as you look at me when I get out of work I just I'm in sweatpants and a t-shirt oh, yeah. I go strolling up in this gallery and it's a real gallery so I go walking in there and the first thing this little this limey prick says which I have lots of limey prick friends so I can say that but he goes oh you just come from the gym and I'm like oh this is gonna go well so um, I'm, I'm walking around looking at artwork, and and, and like I said earlier, I'll buy art. <laughs> I will. Yeah, I will. Right. You know, I may not spend money on some shit, but I, I'll I'll crack out that wallet and I'll I'll dump some cash on prints. So if it's the right ones, and so I I I start to walk around and I look at the guy and I said, hey, and this is a gallery owner. Okay, he had some he had real art. It wasn't you know it wasn't you know posters or whatever. It was real art. And so I said, well, you know, you got a lot of nice stuff here, but do you have any prints? And he goes, ah, prints. You want posters? Go down the street. And then it's like, then Vivian looks at me and she's going, oh, here we go. And so she starts to disappear because she knows what's coming next. And so I go in. You know, obviously this guy, you know, didn't know shit about art. He just happened to run a gallery. So I let into him, you know, in my own polite way. I didn't start yelling, but I started just, just berating him with knowledge and oh you know and I go and talk about master printmakers and, and, and you know and Rembrandt oh Rembrandt and, and all of a sudden this guy starts to realize he's in the deep end of the pool oh shit because he's like oh wait oh, a minute man. I don't actually know shit and, all of a sudden, so, and then I start pointing out the fact that you know you know people get this whole idea in their head because prints are in multiples that they're like anything in multiples they're not but the but the unique quality and we've talked about this before and I'll share it with the people out there who the one or two people that ever listened to this yeah right exactly <laughs> but, but they um, thanks well, you know, so you know it's like I said I'm not that interesting it's not you it's me they're gonna see that and they're like no oh my God. but um it's cause I'm not a cool looking artist yeah right but, <clears throat> the people they, they forget the fact they don't understand the fact that that each print is inherently different in the edition so because each of the qualities of it, there may be more ink here, there may be ink less there. And that's what makes it an individual piece of art. And you're going to print off a limited amount of them, 15. So you have 15 individual pieces of art, like 15 different paintings, 15 different drawings, 15 different whatever. But that's it. And it's printed, a printmaker is only going to print it in a limited amount. 
one through whatever. You know me, I go one through 15, one through 20. And a couple artist proofs, and that's it. And no one else will get it. So people have this mentality, well, it's multiples, it's not. And so this guy kind of has the same mentality. But then I point out the fact that he has brass, or bronze sculptures in there. And they do bronze the same way. Mm-hmm. Bronze, you know, you can, yeah, go out and buy, you know, Rodan or whatever the hell his name is. You can, uh, or Michael Angel or any of those guys that did the bronze, they're additions. You know, there's five or six, 10, 12, 15, 20, 200 of them. Right, right. But they're all numbered, and, and it's the same concept. And each one of them is going to cost the same price. You're going yeah. to spend, spend a half million dollars on this one. You're going to spend a half million dollars on that one. I mean, it's not like carving when they when they chisel out the, the, um, the whatever the hell, the stone. But it's it's the same concept, and people lose fact, lose lose thought, lose that because they think okay, it's so much harder to cast bronze, so it's that much bigger deal. But it's actually, as you know, printmaking it's not that easy to do prints either. Hell, absolutely yeah. not. That's yeah. that's one thing that scares the living Jesus out of me, to be honest. You know, like when we did the prints for Fringe last last year, you know, we didn't throw away a lot of them, but there yeah. were a few that didn't work. And but you know, in that process, you were like. You have to understand, I mean, mm-hmm. someone's eye might catch a little bit of that mistake and like that better than the traditional print or the print that has more ink on it, you know, yeah. or, it's, yeah. or it's a little bit lighter in certain areas. And that's well, and, that's and, the beauty of it. Yeah, and it that's really the is. cool thing of it is yeah. because, because that's what makes it individualized art. Some of them are different. Some of them like a wood block. Like, you know, I do a lot of dark skies because my shit's dark. <laughs> And um, you could say that it is, it's, say it's kind that. of depressing. So uh, a lot of, sometimes, like if you see that proof up there on the wall on the right hand side, there it got light on the side. Some people like that. Some yeah. people make it. Get, it adds tonal qualities and contrast to a normally black sky. Yep. And some people like that. Uh, a, a printmaking um, psychopath, master printmaker, would go, that's terrible. I don't want that one. You know. But uh, you know, we uh, we always, we 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 I adopted the whole name Chaos Seed because. The, for my presses because you know the whole sowing the seed of chaos and the mentality that I have but also the fact that you know I, I was I was for years I was as I was taught from a master printmaker that did a litho and litho guys litho printmakers are insanely clean and their 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 shops are insanely well taken care of so I, I was so caught in that rigid mind frame that when I started adventuring out on my own I was a lot more wild with the processes if things didn't turn out the way they turned out, that's fine. But I wanted to make sure I remembered how it happened that way. A lot of the effects I have on my 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 prints um, look random, but I can reproduce them because I understand how. But the, right. the, the the cool thing about the process and moving the printmaking forward or whatever you're doing is you happen upon things that are and otherwise another person may think is a mistake. If you're this rigid printmaker where you're like, this is how you do it. And if it doesn't turn out exactly like it was supposed to, it's a failure. Whereas I'm of the mind frame that, oh, well, shit, there's so many variables. And and I I, I always like to quote chaos theory because it's kind of cool. I read one of the book by a John Glick guy, and all of a sudden I'm like, wow, variables, cool, chaos, because you can't control all variables. And, um, and so when you start to understand that, printmaking has so many variables. And anything from water temperature to how how hot or cold it is in this theater or in the studio can cause so many problems with printmaking. And if you if you're afraid of that, then you you're wasting a lot of plates. But then if you said, "Wow, that's actually kind of a cool effect," how did I do that? And then you think back <laughs> at how you did it, and then you keep track of that, and then you can reproduce the process. So then yeah. it, it, something totally random that was the chemistry of the process, which I mean. Half the people listening aren't going to have any idea what the hell printmaking is, but we use a lot of acids and chemicals and chemical processes that that cause us to be able to produce the image. And the 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 amount of water to acid ratio in a bath, or 
things of that nature could simply cause a little effect that is amazing. And yeah. if you learn how to reproduce it, then you got more you got you know more more tools in the toolbox. And if you're some rigid printmaker that's been so you know you've just been caught in the same structure of printmaking for years, you're missing out because yeah you're 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 making these beautiful classic traditional looking prints, but you're not making this cool wild looking shit. And that was kind of the chaos that I got involved in and enjoyed with the printmaking process. And now that's what I really enjoy about a lot of the stuff that I do, and I bring that to the people that come in here and work with me. And that's the the whole chaos side of things. And you can make cool stuff. And and that's I think that's also kind of the hardest thing when when artists come in to work here because they can't control the process because it's chemical it's 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 mm-hmm. you know you it's not like when you're putting brush to brush to canvas and you know how it's going to end up you know you're, you're cutting a wood block and all of a sudden wood chips start popping out where you didn't want it <laughs> and you know i wanted that there and you're like frustrated but but that's the chaos of the process and that's how you end up with it and if and people who are so rigidly caught in, the, in their processes and they lose control that i think maybe that intimidates them too and and, and that could be it um, I think they, I think that's a really great point is getting caught up in uh, whatever you just said. But the rigid, I, the, yeah, the rigidity process. Rigidity, yeah. Like being able to explore and being able to cause major I, – you put it the great way – major chaos in your own artwork. Yeah. I think for me and I think for a lot of people, you know, you gain a lot of ground as an artist doing that and being able to say, all right, well, that didn't work. Now let's do this. Now yeah. let's do this. Whereas you see some artists that are maybe not, I'm not going to say caught up in that uh, perfectionism. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, you know, I'm perfectionist to a point, yeah. but then I, I know that there's a line. I always have a line. I'm like, oh, fuck that. Like, I'm done. Like, this is, yeah. I just dispose of it or it's the artwork's done, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm a, I'm frantic. I want to move on to something else and do something different usually, yeah. but I really love the idea that you can absolutely, especially in printmaking. I mean, when I'm looking at this wood block right here that you can absolutely ruin it, but what is, and ruin it in a negative way. Yeah. But I mean, you can create ruin out of this mm-hmm. and maybe yeah. that is what you're trying to get yeah. for, you know? And so allowing yourself to, to trip, to fall, mm-hmm. to get back up. And then, like you said, like finding out like, Oh man, should I have done this or should yeah. I have done that? And like, well, I did this, this is what works now and look what it came up with. And it's, and it's, exactly. and it can be really beautiful in that chaos. Mm-hmm. That's just a, such a great point to and, make. There. And the thing is where, where you're coming from and where I'm coming from, it's scary for the young guys because, you know, I, I, I talk about that chaos, but the fact that I've, I've cut hundreds of these blocks that, you know, I don't have as much of the, the, the breaking and popping and things like that. I mean, there, there's, there's certain things right. given to the texture and the grain and, and how the plywood was put together that's going to inherently cause that. But you gain more control. And it's just like anything. It's like with drawing. Every artist knows that if you don't keep up with your craft and you take a month off, two months off, a year off, all of a sudden – we talked about this before. You're intimidated to get back in there, yeah. and you got to rebuild that because if, if 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 you don't wipe your ass for a year and then you put your hand back there to wipe it, you're going to have to relearn how to wipe your ass. You know, <laughs> it's kind of the way it is, or with, with anything. You know, writing anything, and 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 that's what happens. Artists they they fall off, they don't get back into it, and the process intimidates them, and then they just say, never mind. And with with the, what we do with the printmaking is you got to keep up with it because if I if I take a month or two off, you know I, we've been working really hard, um, you know uh, Jeff and I on this this thirty six city woodcut thing mm-hmm. and I haven't really done a lot of etching since then, and now I'm starting to knock off another etching and and it's been probably 
a month since I've done etching. So now it's like, uh, I mean, that's not too long for me. I mean, we've uh, we've produced, I mean, what, 13 prints in, in that period, yeah. which is pretty serious, you know, artwork. But um, now i got to jump back on the etching thing. And luckily I've done it for so long, it's just going to be natural for me. But if I was young at it, if I had a couple years under my belt and then I you took that kind of a break and started to get back on, yeah, I'd be intimidated. And, and that's the thing. And, you know, it, you have to keep focused on your art. And we've, we've gotten into this for it, and I don't want to keep going on and on and on because I don't know how much tape you got in that tape deck thing here. But, um, yeah, the tape, the reel-to-reel's going, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. right <laughs> but um, but the, uh, you know, you have to have the – I keep going back to the passion for the art. And if you don't, you know, you got to be in it for the right reason. I'm getting all fragmented here, so I apologize well, to our, our one oh. or two listeners. Um, <laughs> um, you, you know, people – they, 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 they set a measure of success. If I'm, This is what it is for me to be successful as an artist. This is what it is to this. It's got to be sales. I've got to sell. If I don't sell, I'm not an artist. And, and we all know throughout history, and I hate to throw this out there because everybody shakes their head and goes, why can't? But many of the great, great artists never sold shit or sold one or two or whatever, and now they're dead, and yeah, everybody thinks they're great, and it sucks to be that guy. But but they would they it came from them from a different place. They came it was a passion. They did it for this reason, and it's expression or it's whatever. And if you keep doing it, I can't even tell you how many people I know that studied art and were artists that just don't do art anymore. I know people, not Kevin, because Kevin's prolific when he makes art. But I know yeah. people that are professors that have master's degrees in printmaking. And they teach printmaking and probably haven't made a print in twenty five years. You know, and I'm not going to mention any names with that. But you know, it sucks. It, Is you it know, fear? I, I, it's it, maybe it's it, I, it could be fear it could be the whole you know I'm not successful I'm not in the I'm not in, at the Whitney I'm not at yeah. uh, you know the Museum of Modern Art I mean I maybe I just don't have anything to say anymore you know what whichever it is but it's just it's sad I mean it, you I, sometimes I'm just amazed at the, the body of work that I that I find some artists have um, it's I've I've seen artists that have hundreds and hundreds of paintings you know you're like my god this guy did 700 paintings in his life or 900 or a thousand and then you got the guys that did four or five yeah and you know and it's like why did they only do four or five or why did they do this you know i that's it and and, and that's the big question why do they stop why don't they you know it, it is if, if i can't make a living at it why should i keep doing it or i get caught up in life i have kids i, I have a job i have this i don't have time for this anymore it's that's the big question you know i always say this a thousand times and people are sick of hearing about it but being an artist is a marathon it's not a sprint you know and if you if you think all right i got my i just graduated from the art institute yay i'm working at starbucks and trying to pay off a two hundred thousand dollar student loan and i'm making my art and i'm not selling and holy shit i've been doing this for the past five years i give up yeah. i'm just going to go out and get a regular job and pay off my bills and why bother painting anymore i got a i, I know a guy that that i went to high school with that we i remember sitting in in school with him and we're all sitting around um drawing in the high school you know we, we had this you know there's usually like four or five guys that are that are artists and they're going to go on and be artists and and that's their dream and and he was one of the more talented of us in regards to his draftsmanship skills and he went off to uh i'm not gonna try to disclose too much i doubt he'll ever see this or hear this. we're facebook <laughs> friends but we don't talk <laughs> but uh he went off to university of illinois and got a bachelor's in fine arts and painting i believe it was and um and i i connect with him on facebook years ago a couple years ago as we all do with old friends and um he doesn't do art anymore he i think he works as he, he's a manager of some kind of uh, like 
U-Haul or whatever, one of those kind of places. And it's like, and I remember extending an invitation. I mean, tell me you want to make a print, come in. And he never took me up on it. And and that's just sad to me because this guy was really passionate about art, and he was a really great artist. And and for some reason, it just stopped. And I don't know why. I have no idea why, but that's, it just happens. Yeah. And it's and, and, and honestly, it's the way it is. I I look at those, um, um, you know, I, I've I've encountered artists that are just so amazing to me because they're just they're they've been doing it forever. Um, uh, God, I can't, I'm drawing a blank on his damn name. Uh, David Dreisbach. I, I've talked to him about him yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I put a couple of his prints in that one show we had. That you one sure day. did. And I think he's 88 years old, mm-hmm. and he's living in a retirement computer, community in DeKalb, and he's still making prints. And it, to me, it's just inspiring. This guy's <laughs> badass. That's so badass. <laughs> this guy's got so Jeez. many prints. He's got like just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. I can't even. I've, I've seen so many of them. It's like I, you can't even start to think how many prints this guy has. And he's so cool about it. If you showed up at his senior living place, he'd sell them to you for ten bucks a piece. You know. And I and I swear, knock on wood, and I hope he never dies and lives for two thousand years. But um, but I, <laughs> there's going to come a point when people are going to realize, whoa, this guy. Yeah. Because I mean, he was he was one of the contemporaries of, of the master printmakers of of, of the that were in the United States, and he he helped develop a process called uh, viscosity printmaking, and which which was kind of cool because you you worked with the viscosities of the inks to where certain thicknesses print different ways, so you were able to actually stack prints or stack inks on one plate of multiple colors. Whereas before, if you wanted to do color prints, you had to use multiple plates. Mm-hmm. So he was one of the pioneers of viscosity printmaking, and and he's just hanging out at a senior living place right now and with his wife and selling prints for 10 bucks a pop and he was he was one of the, the most significant printmaking innovators that has been around but I go back to, I, I keep tangenting and transgressing and doing all kinds of crazy shit here but back to the point is it, it's just as an artist you just got to keep making art and people don't and when we go all the way back to the beginning of this conversation is why I opened up the studio and things like that. A lot of people I just shake my head at, you know. I, I, I see, I've seen people that I've pointed out to you that have exhibited your place I thought were amazingly talented that I, and I've wanted to work with them in prints. And, and I, you know, I have the benefit of, of the whole classic fine arts printmaking or just fine arts education. And I like to kind of work with people. And, you know, I, you, you know a couple of artists I work with that, that really don't have any art education background whatsoever. And it's cool to to give them what I was given, you know. Talk to them about, okay, composition, um, you know, balance, things like that. Things that are an artwork that they have such amazing natural abilities. And, and, and you know, and yeah. I don't. I don't ever, when I work with an artist, try to tell them what to make their art of. But if you ask me, what do you think here? And I'm like, well, you could put something here. Yeah. If you put something in that corner, it bal- and you know, and then like they look at it, and then the light goes on. Wow, that's something. You know, that changed everything in this, and it balanced it, and it made it more aesthetically pleasing to their eye. And and that's what's cool about what I do, and and why I enjoy working with artists. And like I said, I I, I pick them out. And the most exciting thing for me is, um, you know. Uh, you know, I, you know, you know the artists I work with, um, and one of them is so impassioned about it. And he moved away, but he's doing woodcuts in his living room, I, and and he's taking it past me, which is cool because he started learning screen printing, mm-hmm. and he's and he's taught himself and he's read yeah. some stuff, and I'm like, that's just so kick ass because he took, he started off doing etchings, and then he learned woodcuts and he learned linoleum from me. And he moved away, and he can't have access to me. But he kept wanting to do it. So now he's spooning linoleum cuts in his in his in his studio. And now I, I look at him on Facebook, and he's doing screen prints. And I'm like, this is just kick ass. 
and it's just because he got the bug and it was printmaking and he realized this is something new and he he was a he's a great painter and he still is but he had access to to a different medium and now he's just embraced it and that's something that i'm giving forward which is i think and that's something that a lot of people never touch like you said like a lot of artists don't even know what it's about because exactly in, and a lot of that starts in elementary school mm-hmm. where you actually made make prints, yeah. you know, and and do certain things. But you get into high school if you're lucky enough to have an art program. I, I did in yeah. high school, you know, back in the 90s, but no idea mm-hmm. how to print yeah. making. No, it was draw, paint. Yeah. You know, we may have done clay, uh, you know, I mean, even I mean, it wasn't pottery. It was yeah. like just clay, clay on a table. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, that's really, uh, I wonder if it's just grown in a, printmaking has grown ex- exponentially, mm-hmm. you know, and, but I wonder if it's that need that people connected, have connected and they're like, I got to tell you about this. I have mm-hmm. to tell you about this art form, yeah. this media, like this medium, like you said, yeah. that it's super easy to do in one way, you know, mm-hmm. that's in some people's eyes, yeah. you know, specific way yeah. and say like, Let's try this at home. Mm-hmm. Like you say, spoon prints in our, you know, we're cutting in our living room or yeah. our kitchens and yeah. we're just doing it. We're creating work. Mm-hmm. You know, I see, uh, you know, Aaron and I both went to uh, Western Illinois University and we were down there doing something last summer uh, for a kids program. And I saw this kid's artwork on in, in, at uh, Sullivan Taylor Coffee House. I saw this kid's artwork on the wall, grabbed his card. And liked him on Facebook or became friends with him on Facebook and started like chit chatting every once in a while. And this kid has, has, has had no arts background and then got in to school and became an arts major because he, uh, got into the wrong building one day (laughs) and he saw, uh, printmaking. He saw the prints going and he was like, I don't know what this is, but I want to do it. And he started doing this and his stuff is incredible. Uh, I wish I knew that. I wish I could remember the name of his uh, group right now, but um, it's like bone collector or or bones or something. But to the point where, you know, and I see a lot of stuff in a lot of different areas like most people do, but it caught my eye and I spent at least 20 minutes in there looking at his stuff. And this is a kid that, and he's still in school, Yeah, you know, and but he had access to something and that he may have never had and clearly had never had access to, um, or was even aware of. And so there's, there's a lot of different things that are interconnected for me personally with printmaking, you know, and you're one Mm -hmm. of them, your, your talents, your information and, um, and you as a person. And it's been great getting to know you and getting to know, maybe a 10th or not even, I'm not even gonna say a 10th, like a, like 0.05% of information that you have. I'm an open book though. (laughs) And that's, you know, and you talk about going back to, to artists that just don't do it anymore, you know, and you being an open book and offering this to people. Um, I mean, I hope that we can help, you know, offer it to people that want to come over and at least get to know you and get in contact. But well, I have selfish reasons too because I want to push printmaking forward. Right, right, you know? right. And and if you know there are more printmakers out there, there's more understanding of printmaking, and that's the thing. You know, I want to get these, I want to snatch up these awesome artists and all these other mediums and say, hey, do this, and you know, and 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 that's that's my selfishness. Plus, I don't want to see it die, because you know, in my printmaking program at the university, there may have been 25 people in there that were really focused on it, and now there's maybe 10. It just slowly goes away. Yeah. And and people. 
you know, and, and that damn generation that's after mine, they'd like to take the easy way out. And now that there, there's something called this thing called digital printmaking. And, you know, and I call it, uh, you know, using the old laser printer at the, at the, uh-huh. at the you know, at the whatever. And so they, they now they can they can jump on their computer and they can make what they call a print. And the, and they're and they're able to it's it makes it easier to express. I mean, OK, I'm going to go on a diatribe real quick about, about <laughs> digital art. OK, when I when I'm working on my imagery, it's a it's a toiling task. And people who have been in the studio with me know it. they know I draw things seven eight times i just go rework everything and and as an artist it's a natural struggle to pull the image out because i mean the cool thing about being an artist and this is my own opinion of it is like you have this window in your mind that looks into another world okay but it's a narrow window you know and it's blurry and your eyes are real bad so you have this image in your head and wherever you bring this image from you don't get a full image you know it's 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 a scattered image and you have to hammer this image out and bring it out and to share with people and you know that it doesn't come easy. Art's not easy. You you know there you see sometimes you see these guys that come in and just whip this amazing drawing out right, right you know right away. But then they get caught in that that imagery, and then all of a sudden you start to look at their artwork, and it's like, well, that's a kind of same repeating image because it's easy for you. You know, I, I, there's a there's an artist that I encountered in Elgin that was that was a pretty good artist, but I keep seeing the same kind of imagery in the art every single time. And it's like you get comfortable in that. It's like I draw Garfield, and all I draw is Garfield. And yeah, I'm, right. I'm the Garfield guy. And <laughs> how about drawing something different? You know, or at least trying to mix up the imagery a little bit. And I know my, I'm very stylized, so I'm not going to. Well, know. stylized is one thing, yeah. you know. And I mean, you do have a lot of skeletons, and some people yeah. would say like, "Oh, a lot of skeletons pop up," but it's all in the context. You point out a skeleton here. Well, what the, whatever <laughs> I, I mean, I <laughs> use emaciated bodies. Oh, There's not a skeleton there. That's not a skeleton. There's a skull on his face. Skeletal light. Oh, that's Grim Reaper. Okay, the Grim Reaper's going to have one, and I, I try to stay away from the Grim Reaper's image because it ends up being a tattoo. Right. So, exactly. But, yeah. But and, and you know, yeah, I, I I do have a lot of the same imagery on that level. But you know, no, I mean, and I'm, I, I'm I, not I comparing, it, but I, mean, I, I think I that yeah. that's an honest. You know, some people can see that, and I think that they're. It, you, people do fall in line. Mm-hmm. They do fall yeah. in what's nice and what's easier yeah. for them. And yeah. I think that's that can can be okay. But again, pushing forward, mm-hmm. progress. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I you know there's this this one artist I I ran into online. It was an amazing painter, but she's and she's out in California. I'm not going to mention names or whatever. But she makes these beautiful like kind of it looks like airbrush slash painting kind of things, and they're very whimsical and fairy like and all that. I'm like, wow, well, you got amazing draftsmanship skills. And she friended me on Facebook, but then I. I look at them and it's like, okay, it's kind of, you know, you just kind of got the same thing. And if I go into your gallery and look at your stuff, it's like, you know, me, I'm trying to tell a story. And each each of my pieces of artwork is another page from that story. And and that's just the way I like artwork. And I try to change it that way to where, okay, it's a progression. And at the end, there's going to be a long story. You put them all together and you're like, I understand now. You know, yeah. and, and that's it. But uh, I'm lost a track of what I was Well, your story, about. you know, I mean, again, this is kind of just going back. But your story, people would say is very dark it is and that's you you can tell though you can tell how much work you put into these prints and, and that's evident and but it's evident to those yeah. who can recognize it yeah. because and like you said a lot of people would see this and might think that it's a, a digital print or yeah. you yeah. know or something that's done on adobe or you know or, yeah. or in this, anything or illustrator or anything like that but once you start knowing and you can see it and you understand what those numbers mean and what the let you know, and it's like the additions yeah. and, and everything and be like, wow, that the person actually created that and printed it themselves. Like that's, 
That's friggin' astounding. It I'm glad really you brought is, up Adobe man. though, because that reminds me of what I was talking about. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> there we go back. But I was talking about the whole the, the the death of printmaking or whatever, the, the decline of it, and you know the whole digital age. And and I, I get frustrated with digital art because you know the, the programs. I see how they work. You draw your line, it corrects your line. You know, it looks like it's like when you you you're, you're using um, you know a word processing program and you spell it wrong and it corrects it for you right away. And and that's kind of troubling to me because I you know. You, it makes it it makes the artist easier to express what they're saying, but on the other hand, it's like you know, you, you I think you lose the part of the process and you lose part of the yeah, absolutely, process. I, you know, I, absolutely. I don't want to slam on people for doing that because I've seen some pretty amazing shit. But you know, I I, I deeply appreciate someone who who scribbles and scribbles and scribbles and scribbles and scribbles and erases, you know, to try to, to get an image out there. Yeah, you know, rather than I mean, yeah, I guess I could get a program and sketch that shit out real quick and all of a sudden slap it down. But for me, it's the, you know. It, People look at my artwork, and and I, you know I have this scribbly style, you know, and half the and, and of the four people that listen to this video or this this thing are probably never seen my artwork, but I have a I have a very rough scribbly kind of you know devil may care if you will um, way of drawing, but you know and and artists I've worked with have come to realize that. It's calculated. Yeah, it's and, not a haphazard. Yeah, people are gonna look way at it and your think, style. No, absolutely think, not. Wait a minute, this guy, yeah. this guy draws. You know, yeah, I, I, I can, I can straight <laughs> up say I was, I went through every drawing class I was supposed to, and I can draw like everybody else. You know, I, I yeah. these crazy draftsmanship skills. I can draw your face and make it look like your face. You know, I can do all that shit. But <laughs> that's, that's just crazy. Not, that's just not what I do. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I don't do that. Yeah, I can draw the, the pot and the flower and everything else, but. But it's this is this is my this is the way I choose to draw, you know, and, and express myself. Have you ever seen Picasso's drawings? Yes, his I actual, have actually. Yeah, his yeah. actual drawings. Because yeah. people, I always I always get frustrated. People say he can do it, I can do it. I'm like, are you kidding me? Jesus, Picasso Jesus can write. Christ. He can draw like Michelangelo. Yeah. He can draw like Da Vinci. But he didn't because he, he I'm doing this, and I, I've seen his sketchbook and I like I, and I saw his work when he was studying art and I'm like, oh my god, this guy is just beautiful with his abilities and he deconstructed himself and, and, and pushed his boundaries exactly and, you know and did that for many reasons mm-hmm. but the fact that one of the facts is that 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 journey mm-hmm. and i think that's that says something about you as an artist as a human being mm-hmm. as someone that you know some people take drugs to to expand their their minds in order to you know create artwork yeah. and do you know there's a lot of different ways of doing that but mm-hmm. he was one of those I mean, I don't know if he took drugs or whatever, but I'm. I'm sure he drank a lot and, <laughs> yeah, and, and smoked, smoked a lot. Right. I, I doubt he was a drug user. Yeah, but, but yeah, because it wasn't quite where he was at, at the time. But just but yeah. opening up and accepting what came to you, mm-hmm. and then being progressive yeah. and saying like, "I'm going to do this instead." Like, yeah, I can draw better than anybody you know mm-hmm. in Paris right now. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to you know, uh, Germany or I'm going to go yep. to wherever and I'm going to completely like do something completely yep. different in a, in a, in a way, in a place, you know, or go to Amsterdam and just paint for a year or, mm-hmm. or do this or do that, you know? And I don't, I mean, I'm, I don't, I'm not a historian, but well, he did go to Germany cause yeah. he was really influenced by the German express printmakers. Well, see, out. I knew that. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, I didn't know I mean, that he know, like spent any time there. I don't know if there, he actually but... went to Germany or Germany came to him. There, knows, yeah. But I know he was very influenced <laughs> by, by, uh, <laughs> so good. he brought Germany <laughs> to him. Yeah. But I, I love but it. I, but he was definitely influenced by the, the German expressionist artists and painters and printmakers, but go ahead. Yeah. No, I, and you know, it, again, you see, your work or I see your work and you can absolutely see a journey. You can see exploration. You can see these 
but there is this story that's unfolding and I hope to someday know it, but then I kind of hope I never know it completely. Well, I mean, the the fact that it looks grim is one thing, but you know, some of these are actually happy things and some of them are sad things, you know, it's, it's, it's a thing. There's, there's your interpretation of what that is. Yeah. You know, I mean like that proof right there. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, uh, that's an homage to a friend of mine that was a musician. And I believe I titled that one, uh, um, Death, Death, Death steals music or something. I got it. I can't remember the name of my own damn print, but that's 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 one of my friends died. It was a musician, you know. I have a the the one print I talked about. I think you've saw it before. The uh, he did this to himself. That goes yes, 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 yes. That yes. goes all the way back to uh, um, you know someone who very important to me in my family um, lost of had a friend of of theirs kill themselves, and it, that was that mm. was we were young and it happened and and that was my kind of whoa that's it. And then I have happier things. I mean, there's happier stuff. There's whimsical shit. I've got happier things than super suicide. It's just there, you know, and, you know, and, 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 and it, it's, it stimulates thought, you know, and, and I want you yeah. to, ha- if you're going to try to find out what the purpose of my, my artwork is, you're going to have to, you're going to have to work your way to it. And, and that's the thing, you know, I, I could say it's a suicide print and somebody goes, oh, that's cool and walk on. Right. But if you have to go through the process of figuring it out and then understanding it and then you hear the story, then it makes you think about it, and 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 it, it 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 adds credence to the value of the artwork, you know, and and it also makes you think about it, and it, and the process, and it it, it 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 evokes an emotion. I talk about that a lot too, the whole evoking emotion, and I and I and I think art needs to do that. I've I've looked at art and it almost brought tears to my eyes. I've seen it I'm like well, absolutely, this is, and you know me, I don't cry easy, right? <laughs> so and and that's it, and 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 evoking an emotion from your art is is. Um, it, it's 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 important, and it depends on what emotion. It, it, whether it's a successful piece of artwork, I remember when I was young and in high school, I had thought about trying to make the trip up to the Art Institute of Chicago and being an artist there. And at the time, I mean, I'm not going to mention the artist's name, but uh, it was named after a famous. He he had named himself after a famous uh, historical figure, and he actually part of his graduate program or his his graduation whatever. He exhibited at the Art Institute where he put an American flag down and he uh, um, encouraged people to stomp on it or something like that and then talk about their, their feelings on it, about it. And I felt that was kind of a, you know, it bothered me for one because I'm right. like, first of all, I thought that's art. You just lay a flag on the, on the ground and you stomp on it and you write about it. And it was all over the news and I was offended by it and and I didn't think it was art. And when I was young and impressionable and I still don't think have the highest regard for it. But it evoked an emotional response for me. So it was a successful piece of expression because it, you know, it, it evoked revulsion. It evoked anger. Yeah. And and if an art and if a piece does that, then it's just as successful as the one that brings you joy or happiness. I, you know, I early on I got lucky enough to be able to, to put up a print or put up a print at the now defunct Vietnam Veterans National Art Museum, which was in Chicago. And I'm not a veteran, let's just make that clear. <laughs> but I've got to put up some artwork in the show there through uh, the um, Chicago Artist Coalition, I think it was. And I got to go through there, and, and, and other than the exhibition section we were at, they basically they had all the art from the Vietnam veterans. And I, it was moving. It was moving. I mean, there was stuff in there that was it, that was just scary and tragic and sad, and it really expressed what it was for them to be in war. And and it was moving to me, and it was the the purest in my my feelings about artwork, the purest expression of of what art is. It evoked. It was it was hard. It was troubling. It was it, I, going through the whole exhibit, looking at every piece of artwork. You're like, wow. Some of it was 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 just simple paintings of still lifes, and other ones were like, oh my god, what look at this. And it's cool. And and I've talked to you about many of my 
my favorite artists, you know, I talk about Otto Dix, mm-hmm. you know, and his his World War One prints, and yeah. they're just they're, and and back with Goya and his Los Desastros and and of war, you know, they, they, and and they're just they're 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 they're, they're vulgar, they're they're raw, they're 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 horrifying. I mean, you've seen some of those Goya prints where they're the the Cossacks are trying to cut some guy in half with a scimitar and they're pulling yeah. his legs apart and all this other shit, and it's like. Whoa, <laughs> you know, but but that's it's that's that's art. It's expression. It's, when he chose and he chose that art form to create that message or create that piece and get it and, out there and get it out there to make social change. That's the we we go back to the social change aspect of printmaking too. And we're under like seven hours here, <laughs> but um, but uh, Otto Dix, one of my favorite artists, and I'll recount this this story I've told you before, but I'll 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 sell it to the seven nine twelve people that are now listening. <laughs> that um, he was a machine gunner in the trenches during World War One, and all of his artwork was just a scrim shit of bodies and the barbed wire and all that, and it was just so so raw. But it had such an effect on him as far as warfare go. When when Hitler came to power, he was very much the the anti-Hitler, you know, and and, and anti-fascism. And when we, they they entered into war, he was very much against it, and he was put on house arrest. And he was such a famous artist that they, Hitler could kill everybody else, but you couldn't touch Otto Dix. <laughs> so he was in house arrest. Jesus. And and he uh, and 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 he continued to make prints and things like that. And his prints were out there. And that and I and I think for some. I mean, on some level, it had to it had to influence the German people. On some, I mean, it, you know, granted, it was a collective madness there that really couldn't be overcome, but it definitely influenced. It had to influence them, you know. And he continued to say it, and to preach it, and to to say, you know, and that was his way of getting it out. If it was a painting, he'd have done one painting, and that was it. Yeah. But the fact that they're prints and there are hundreds of them, and they're all over the streets and they're papered everywhere and things like that. That's that's the difference, and that's the power of printmaking, you know. Well, um, Jim, I think that's a great place to wind down yeah. on this one. Um, 30 hours. We have, no, man, there, we have, there's so much I want to talk to you about. So maybe you'll be, you'll grant me another time where we can, two. yeah, <laughs> electric yeah, yeah. boogaloo. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, again, just want to say thank you. Cool. And, um, we, uh, we, me in particular, uh, really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, it's been Jim Lloyd on Connected. Um, you want to say anything else on the way out? No. Make prints. Make prints. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Stay connected.